Not only has Patty done a great job in, in leading this class, she's also right accomplished as a trainer. Because at 944, everybody came in and got a seat. And that is so non-Presbyterian. Uh, got, got, got to love it. Right. Let, let me open us with prayer and we'll get started. Father, we just thank you for all the ways you have blessed your church, how you have blessed it through the years uh, with uh, great uh, teaching, great instruction. And we just uh, thank you now for this series that we are uh, working through and just pray that your spirit would be with us as we uh, explore further uh, uh, the idea of aging and how that uh, affects us as believers. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Frank. Uh, I want to thank everybody here for how wonderful you've been and will continue to be. I know. Uh, you, the uh, outpouring of uh, stories and and uh, the feelings that we have, all the emotions, has been great. But I know that's what I do for a living, and I'm not sure how it affected all of you, but it has been wonderful for me. Uh, I have one more of these classes. Well, today and then next week, and that's it. I've really enjoyed it. Um, I will be glad, however, I'll be honest with you, it'll be seven weeks. I'll be glad then to just sit back and listen to everybody, somebody else, you know, do it. Um, we're going to continue today talking about um, death, and we're going to put a little different focus on it today. Uh, and we, we can talk about anything. As you all know, you could bring up with whatever you're thinking about. But we're going to talk about the guilt that can be associated with losing somebody you die, uh, who dies, uh, somebody you loved. There, there's many times a lot of guilt with it. Uh, Chris gave a very moving uh, testimony last week about when you thought you were going to die and you had guilt. You had guilt and, and, and a lot of trepidation because you didn't think that you'd made amends to the people you should make amends to. Um, I wanted to ask, we have somebody in here who's an extremely creative person. As you all may or may not know, you probably know, and that's Karen Shankin. She's going to read something for us that uh, that she wrote. Dave, you want to take, it would be better for you to read it over there? Um, I, I wrote a poem for my father, about my father, um, after he died. Um, I'm, it's kind of hard to uh, <clears throat> sum up all the things that my father went through over his life. He, um, he struggled a lot um, with some extremely hard, sinful uh, Things that he did to his children. Um, he grew up in a um, salvation by works, and um, obviously that didn't work and doesn't work for any of us. Um, he struggled all of his life with his Christian walk, um, and he would backslide and backslide and backslide and um, become very angry. Uh, had a bad temper with his um, family. There was child abuse, um, sexual abuse, all kinds of things that went on. 
And most of his children decided they didn't want anything to do with him. So when it came time in his old age and he needed to be cared for, um, out of his eight children, there were only three of us that were willing to be there with him. Um, But I'm thankful for what time I got to spend with my father because the last two years of his life was the only two years that he got to enjoy his Christian walk because he was finally convinced through Romans 8 that he didn't have to work for it. He could accept it. So he um, came to know the Lord in a different way and, and was a much nicer person to be with the last couple of years of his life. And so I wrote this um, after he died. Can we forgive? I asked him, are you ready, Dad? Will glory be your home? I'm sure he said with weary breath, oh, death, come death, he moaned. When, Lord, would his children see with age his pride did fade? How lonely would he have to be before his debt was paid? I lay my father down upon a humble bed to rest. A splendid change came over him as age looked on his breast. A softer tone took on his voice. A calm took hold his hand. A sad and tearful, weary eye I almost couldn't stand. Was it my lot in life, I asked, to choose his his bitter cup? Or are we to be the Samaritan and pick our brother up? Are we to ask what brought you here and left you on this road? I will not, cannot help you, Dad. Your sins became my load. If we had laid the baggage down and picked up what truly counts, we surely would find not one without the need of the blessed fount. We cannot know our Father's thoughts and the plight that held his mind. Nor does the Bible say honor him if to you he was kind. I saw a man who suffered much, yet to my great surprise, Jesus left me with the sweet assurance he alone had paid the price. Thank you, Karen. Um, It would seem, however, that you did make some peace with your dad. Um, I, on the other hand, had a, a not so good experience, which was a, I was a long time getting over. Uh, it was with my mother. Um, and okay, I'm going to read this because this came. We also have dreams associated many times with with death, with dying, with our illnesses. Uh, This was a dream which I had on Wednesday night, December the 9th of, um, this would have been 1992. My mother had died at 12.40 a.m. on Thanksgiving Day, and I had been with her several days before her death and had watched her suffer enormously. I had watched her as she fought the inevitable, And she seemed so terrified. My faith took somewhat of a beating in the process. I had prayed for something to help me with my grief about my mother 
and my inability to put together my belief system in lieu of the horror I felt in watching her die and the realization that life is so very short and it is as if we were never here. Things I had known intellectually but was now feeling emotionally. And this was the dream. You can make out of this what you want to. Um, I was at home in Oak Hill, West Virginia, where I grew up. The house was very familiar, everything in place. Lisa, my oldest daughter, who was here with me last week, (laughs) appeared briefly but said nothing and then left the scene. My mother was standing there with my grandmother, and both were smiling at each other and at me. I looked over and saw Kara, my youngest daughter, who had just had a little biracial son, laughing and tossing a little brown baby up in the air and happy as could be. I said to my mother, Kara will think I don't love the baby. I haven't even held it yet. My mother looked at me and smiled and said, Honey, you can't hold the baby. They aren't even here yet. She and Granny seemed to find this rather amusing. I then heard my son or a son of some sort because I knew the word son was connected with him, say, let's get going, it's time to leave now. I wasn't sure where we were going, but I knew it was north or up somewhere, possibly a vacation. I became frantic and claimed that I wasn't ready. I began searching in a frenzy for my luggage so that I could pack. I began looking in every room and all the closets for my luggage. I took my head between my hands and said in anguish, I can't find my luggage. I must have had luggage when I got here, but I don't remember how I got here. I ran down the basement stairs, and when I got to the bottom, I noticed that the basement was completely bare, not a trace of anything there. I said in wonder, my father, and this time I knew what father it was, is cleaning house. I then started back up the stairs, still very upset. The stairs were no longer straight, but curved. At the top, through an open doorway filled with light, a hand extended out. It was a male hand, the father's perhaps. There was a chasm between the top step and the doorway. I was on my hands and knees on the stairs. I pleaded to whoever was in the doorway, please help me get across. And a voice answered, I can't do it all for you. You must take that last leap yourself. It's easy. All you have to do is try. It's very easy and takes only a little effort. And then I woke up with a sense of wonder and reverence such as I had not experienced in months. Now, to me, this was a, a dream all about death and, and dying and uh, our fears of it. And how do I get there? What's going to happen? And I think... That if we, that so many people I've talked to who have faced it closely, tell me that there's a great peace that comes with it. And I was wondering if any of you all are, would be willing to share any experiences you've had watching people die or being with people when they died. The only person I ever saw die in my life was my mother. And one thing that bothered me about it was. I thought it was going to be one of those things like you see in the movies and everything where, it, where at the very last there would be this, she would suddenly realize that I was there and she would say something really wonderful and we'd have this great thing happen to us, but it wasn't like that at all. It wasn't anything like that. And also when I, I heard the, the breathing, the death rattle, 
and I knew what it was, but I'd never heard it before. And then she died, and I remember when I looked at her thinking, so that's death. Dead is dead. I didn't realize what the lifeless body actually looked like. And, and this had to be my mother with whom I had a very stormy relationship. And so uh, it has taken me a long time to get over the guilt over the many things that happened between my mother and me. And I will say this, this has not happened until I was in this church before I was able to forgive myself. My daughter, Diane, used to say, Mom, you know, you're such a forgiving person. You're able to forgive anything and everything. Why can't you forgive yourself? And she said, if God forgives, who are you to not forgive? But I couldn't do it. And now I've learned, I've learned. I, I, and now when I wake up in the middle of the night and, and I think about my mother and all the stuff comes back to me, I just give it to God, just give it up. And it goes away. And so, does anybody else have any? Oh, we do so know also, from a secular standpoint, we know that if you have guilt associated with someone, it's much harder to get over a death. Much harder than it is if you don't have the guilt. So, is anybody willing to share anything? I knew I shouldn't have come to this class today. That's <laughs> what <laughs> people all say. Um, yeah. Patty, I, I, my experience is very similar to yours. Um, the only person I've ever seen die is my mom also. And um, Everyone always wonders why I'm such an emotional wreck, especially when I'm trying to pray in front of every, everyone. But uh, it's a very overwhelming experience. Um, my mom died on Christmas Day, actually. And uh, she uh, had... I was here in Virginia, which was, you know, hard for me anyway because I'm from such a close-knit family. And um, she choked, actually. She'd had, she'd had a long history of strokes and things like this and um, choked and went into a coma. So it was a, it was a mixed blessing because when I got there, um, everyone left, and I was with her the whole night praying and um, talking to her, um, and then she died the next day. So um, it was difficult. It's, it's really hard. And the, the weird thing about it is it kind of made me very, my guilt was in being away, not being there. Um, I mean, I drove as fast as I could to get there. <laughs> but, um, and, you know, I have six younger brothers and sisters at the time. Uh, I was, a, um, I just gotten married. We had, Trini was still in the oven. Uh, and so it was all the, the, the emotions of, her not getting to see my family, um, you know, my children. Um, she'd been well enough to make it to our wedding, but had kind of taken a downturn after that. So she was very young. Um, that was difficult. And, uh, and then it was Christmas. <laughs> so, um, and it, the, the, my reaction tended to be, um, as many of my close friends know, just I became extremely overprotective of my siblings in, uh, in my guilt. So I've, it, it was not until I got to this church <laughs> that I was free from that as well. So. so you are free from it now. I am, yes. Glory be to God. Yeah. Thank you. We had some other hands.
Yeah, ours, my, mine was uh, was better. There wasn't a uh, problem with guilt other than my guilt was, uh, it was, this was my dad who passed away about three years ago. And it, it was interesting, first of all, with, with him. Uh, he was uh, not healthy physically. His mental abilities were very good up until about a month before he passed away. So we got to talk a lot. We lived right close to one another. We lived on the same property, very close. We got to see him, especially uh, the last few years, we were, we were living in their house, essentially taking care of them, my mom and my dad. Uh, so we had a lot of time to talk. We had a lot of time to communicate. We had a lot of time to sort out any things that we had problems with, which we really didn't have many. We were we had a great relationship. Um, the the guilt, if there was any guilt, was being happy that he had died. Um, you know, how do I? You know, it's like well, it's supposed to be a sad thing. Well. For me, it wasn't that sad, but I, I did have these mixed emotions. It was like, well, I'm kind of happy that he passed away, but at the same time, I'm sad that he passed away because we could no longer talk and communicate. But trying to get those two emotions in sync was um, a little bit of an issue, but uh, it, was, it was good to know that he wasn't in pain anymore. He had cancer. He had bone cancer, so he was in a lot of pain. So it was nice knowing that we didn't have to deal with that. Uh, he didn't have to deal with that anymore. They was home with the Lord. And the other issue was with him as far as he was dealing with it. He was ready. And it was funny because we had the caregivers that stayed with him during the day. And then Lynn and I or my sister would stay with him at night because they would, in case they needed help at night. My mom, uh, for those of you who don't know, is blind and she has um, Alzheimer's, so she she was a mental wreck. Physically, mm-hmm. she's pretty good, but mentally, or uh, you know, uh, mentally, she's not there at all. But when the caregiver left on, I think it was Saturday, uh, Saturday night, she said, "Well, I'll see you tomorrow." And my dad said, "No, you won't." And um, when, we, when Lynn and I woke up in the morning, he was still alive. We could hear him downstairs. Mm-hmm. We had like a baby monitor. We could still hear him downstairs. But, he, but before he got downstairs, he had passed away. But he passed away about a, an hour before the caregiver showed up. And I mean, she was devastated. She was, she was more devastated than Lynn and I were, I think. But um, it was pretty peaceful and things went well. But there were still you know, issues mm-hmm. that, that came into effect. But I think being Christians, it's so much easier. You know, an, an individual came to me, I was talking to, um, after Jerry Falwell passed away, and his comment went, was that it was a bad day for Jerry Falwell. And I said, no, it wasn't. I said, it was a great day for Jerry Falwell. I said, it was a bad day for those around him. I said, in losing him, but it was a great day for him. And I felt that was the way with my dad, too. Patty, like Joel, I want to thank you for bringing this up (laughs) because I thought I was over this. Um, My mother died in 95, and and like you, um, we didn't have the best relationship. 
And um, I hadn't thought in terms of guilt, but I guess as I say the next thing, there's a certain amount of shame that goes with it, and guilt and shame aren't too far separated. There was a huge sense of relief for me when my mother died because it was a huge pressure taken off of my life in terms of performing. How do I relate to her? How do I? I mean, just all these things and and wondering if I was going to say something. Was my life measuring up? Was it not measuring? I mean, just all those pressures that go with it right down to it's Mother's Day and I have to buy a Mother's Day card. And how do I buy a card that will affirm her because I didn't want to be ugly. You know, I want I, I loved her in a sense, but I didn't want one that was awful of slurpy stuff that I didn't feel. My sons used to hate to go to a card store with me because they knew it took me an hour to pick something. <laughs> They'd say, oh, Mom, no, take me home first. But there's that sense, as I say it, that sense of relief that is very painful. Yeah. Thank you. You described exactly what I went through, too, and I had the same struggle in the card store. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to get her one of these gushy, mushy, you've always been such a great mother and all, because I didn't really feel that way. However... Um, David, David, I know you don't like me to bring you into this, but you had a totally different experience with my mother. You loved her. Uh, she she was really a very giving person, and she could be loving, but she and I, there was just something about it. She loved my sons. They were the light of her life, and they, yes. had, like you say, they had a different relationship, and I mm-hmm. was thankful for that relationship. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to poison that. Yeah. But um, for her and me, it was very... It was not, it was difficult. We tried. Yeah. You know, the other thing, too, is you know the thing about we always hurt the ones we love? There's more to that than just this phrase. Go ahead, Jen. Two quick stories from A. One, my father died at age 54. Uh, yeah. Extremely, I was extremely close to my father. Um, but in the last years of his life, when he was extremely sick, I couldn't face that, and I stayed away from him, even though I loved him dearly. As he, when he died at 54 and I was not present, then I was left with, with two feelings. One, the guilt of that I left him alone in his, in his last uh, year, probably. The second one being I was kind of angry with him that he left me. Yeah. Um, indirectly, I think it led to my salvation, the loss of a father. Um, when I found the Lord... The first thing that struck me was, I have a father, and and I'm not alone. And so that was very instrumental. Later, uh, and I'll quickly move on, my mother died uh, at 64. This was a different situation. We spent the last few years with her, taking care of her, looking after her. She was in her own home, but, but Margie was very good at that. Margie even decided when it was time for her to go into the hospital. And, and I was sitting with her. Uh, as she, she was dying, and, and she was breathing raggedly, but she was breathing. And that, that last breath was kind of like a, and I was sitting there, and I knew she was gone. But it was, it was a beautiful kind of thing because I knew she was going to heaven. Yeah. It wasn't a sad time at all. Uh, I just wanted to sit there with her for a while, which I did. Uh, so two different experiences in death. Absolutely. Thank you. I had also wanted my mother to die, and there was some anger in it. All the worst things that could happen to you were happening to me. 
I mean, inside myself, you know. So, by the way, I don't know if I ever told you all the story about uh, not knowing that she was my mother. Did you know that? Well, not many people have this experience. I, uh, I grew up in a house where my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, took care of us. And since my mother called her mom, we all, my brother and I called her mom. And, uh, and so I called my mother Bernice because that's what everyone called her. And since in those days we had no knowledge any carnal knowledge of any kind. I didn't know why she slept with my dad in the same bed. I assumed it was because of a small house, and you know, and so she was just sharing a bedroom with my father. And so one day my, my uh, neighbor called over the back fence and said, Honey, will you, will, you come in, will you come over the fence, please? I was 10 years old. And get these tomatoes and take them in to your grandmother. And I said, I don't have a grandmother. And she said, honey, you do have a grandmother. And I said, no, I don't. I thought, what's wrong with this lady? And then she said, I see her. She's standing in the kitchen. And that was, that was my mom. So I took the tomatoes and I ran in there and I said, mom, mom, are you my grandmother? And she said, well, yes, honey. I thought you knew that. And I ran to get my brother. This was really something. I had no idea of this. And then I came back and suddenly I said, who is my mother? And she said, Bernice is your mother. And I went, oh, this just can't be. <laughs> and so my brother was astounded also. He was three years younger than, than I and still is. But anyway, <laughs> as he likes to tell me about it all the time I talk to him, you're the oldest one, you know, and how does it feel to be so old and all that kind of stuff. So... After my grandmother died, I continued to call my mother Bernice. I did not think of her as my mother. My mother said to me, honey, would you do something for me? And I said, what? And she said, would you call me mom? I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. But I will tell you this. God gave me something wonderful, and that's the gift of kindness. And so... I looked at her, and I thought, she wants to be my mother. And so I said, I'll try. I'll try because I know you are my mother. And I never told her that I had all this stuff going on. So I had to practice calling her mom, and and I did, and and I learned to do it. But that's what she wanted. And then it occurred to me that perhaps she had always wanted to be my mother, and she just... She was working outside the home with my dad in order to give us what we had. And uh, she worked for my dad, as a matter of fact, until on, except on days when she got mad at him, then she just walked off the job. But, yeah. <laughs> okay, what's this mean? <laughs> and then. Yeah. You had you? No, my mother would just get angry, and she said, Paul, I'm going home. Boom. She, she lived close enough, we lived close enough to the office. She could just walk home. And, and so that was the way she was, very volatile. And so, then, so that's how I got my mother. So, like I said, it was a stormy relationship. At least I was able to call her mom. I did do that. Um, so do you have any other stories that people want to tell?
I'm loving this. I didn't even think about it. I was the most vacant kid you have. I've always been kind of a dreamer type kid who just didn't think about stuff like that. You know, I just didn't. She was in the house. I guess because she called her mom, but then we all called her mom. I just didn't put it together. I know, I know I sound like the most stupid child in the world, but, but, you know, I'm just telling you the truth. So don't ask those questions. <laughs> Go ahead. I have a story of how, um, how God honors us in death. It, it's just a, a sweet, sweet story. My last, the last part of my career, I did home health with pediatric patients. And I was there for a shift. I didn't visit and do a treatment Mm -hmm. and leave. I was there for either eight or ten hours a day. One of my last patients was a dear little girl who, a day after she was born, needed emergency surgery and needed a blood transfusion. They gave her the wrong blood. Uh And it was toward the end of the transfusion before they realized what her reaction was. It destroyed her liver. And so the parents were faced right away with um, some choices. Do we uh, take her to Philadelphia and have a liver transplant? They were in Richmond uh, uh, at this time, and they went up there and explored all their options and realized how devastating that would be for this child for the rest of her life. And so together they made a decision not to do that. They had another child who around that time was four years old, By the time I knew them, she was six. Uh, This uh, child that I was the nurse for was just two. And she was the most wonderful, wonderful, wonderful child. She was so limited in the things she could do. Um, She needed daily care for some very, um, very difficult things. And she had to manage that every day. When I came to her, I took over all the personal care for this child, and it left the mother able to care for the six-year-old. We became very close, this child and I. She, she had a head full of gold ringlets. She was just a precious, precious child. One of the first days I was there, I may have been there about a week, and Mom sat me down and said do you believe in God? And I said, yes, I do. And she said, well, we don't. She had been adopted, and it hadn't been a happy home life for her. So even her adoptive mother, she didn't have a relationship with. And she didn't have a lot of happiness in her former life. This poor child, even to this day, is struggling As we talked, she went ahead to tell me that one of the things the doctor told her was, with her liver destroyed, this child would probably have a massive hemorrhage because she wasn't making her clotting factors anymore. And uh, it would progress to the point where she would probably have a massive hemorrhage. She was scared to death, not only for her 
little two-year-old, but for the six-year-old, to wake up in the middle of the night and see this, how would they handle all of that? And she said, what do you think is going to happen with this child? And I said, I mean, it just, just like that. I said, I think what's going to happen is it's going to come to the end of her life, and Jesus is going to put his hands out and invite her into his arms and, you know, invite her up onto his lap. And she's just going to very willingly go with him. And we talked over that for, for a little bit. And, and finally, Mom said, you just have no idea how much better I feel. You just have no idea how that comforts me. As time went on, I was only with her, it was less than a year. It was time for Thanksgiving break. And uh, I was very concerned because we could see she was going downhill. Dad had taken a week off two weeks before that just to be with her as much as he could. He had gone back to work. I called my supervisor. I was very concerned about them being alone with her through these three days. And my supervisor said, don't worry about it. She's going to wait for you. She will wait for you. I've seen this happen before. Well, I got back on Monday. And as soon as I started taking vital signs, I knew, I knew this was, this was going to be the day. And I went in to tell Mom, you need to call Dad. He needs to come home. And she was, what? what what's going on? And I said, I think, I think it's going to be today. And sure enough, Dad came straight home. And I'll never forget, they kept their daughter home as well from school. Um, they spent the morning holding this child in their arms, and she was just just peacefully sleeping at this point. And very gradually, you know, they spoke to her, they talked with her, they cuddled her and snuggled with her, and we realized she had just floated away. It was the most peaceful, serene passing you can imagine after all the horror that the <coughs> professionals had told her to expect. I mean, it was just a blessing. Dad took her back into the bedroom and was trying to say the our father with her. You know, they had no background, but he wanted to do that for his baby girl. It was just the most precious, precious time. And I am so, I just felt so, uh, so uplifted that the Lord had honored this little girl in that way. And her parents. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, I told you about that my, the young doctors that I work with, they all do rotations in something called palliative care where they uh, take care of people to, to, to try to, uh, so that they don't go through so much pain. They also do rotations in hospice. And they were telling me that when people get close to dying, it's usually very, very wonderful experience, especially if they have friends and family around them, uh, and and if they're able to talk about it. Uh, what of what my docs are finding out is that lots of family won't talk, and they and people. One, I think one of the fears, by the way, of of Americans in particular is that they will die alone. That's one of their fears. This child, very fortunate, really, to be a child in some ways when you think about it. 
not having all this baggage that we've got on board, but not knowing that they're supposed to be afraid. Your statement as far as being able to talk about it was really played out. We went through a period of time when we were in Northern Virginia where a lot of young women in our church ended up with breast cancer, and we lost young women and another family whose daughter had liver cancer and died very young and whatever. But there was one woman who was a believer but fought so hard to the end. She had had many recurrences and did not talk. We did not have the freedom to talk about death and the future, and though there's no doubt in my mind that she is with Christ, it made it difficult mm-hmm. to be there, and I was there up until the night that she died. I have another friend, the one whose daughter died, and from the beginning was t- were talking about heaven and, and the future that she held, that, you know, that she, she knew where she was going, and as somebody walking with them, it makes a huge difference. I have a friend now who's in her second recurrence of uh, stage 3C um, ovarian cancer. She knows her days. She will die of it. But we can talk about it, and it makes a huge difference when you're able to talk mm-hmm. about the hope of heaven. Mm-hmm. Thank you. It, we know it does. You're just saying you know it, too. I had a most uh, interesting little conversation with Karen Shane this morning. I have to tell you on you, Karen. I had called her to ask her if she'd bring her poem in, and she called me right back because I couldn't get her at the time. And, and um, so she said, "You know what I said to my husband? I'm not going back to those classes anymore." She said because everybody cries in there. And then, she, <laughs> and then she said, "But I actually like him. I really love it because I see, I see us talking. We're sharing our griefs and our fears." And it is good. You know that in the business you're in now and that uh, talking is really, really the only way to go. Yeah, Pat, as as you talk about that, um, a story comes to mind when I was a a young, a little boy, probably eight or nine years old. Uh um, Death in the uh, community Uh that I grew up in, in Pennsylvania, German, a Lutheran community, Uh uh, was very austere. No one ever showed any any strong emotion, but the thing that still makes no sense to me, I'm not, I'm not sure why they did it, but at the end of a funeral, it was always an open casket funeral, mm-hmm. and they would put a set of steps up there, and all the grand, when my grandmother died, every grandchild had to walk up those steps and kiss this this oh, woman. And I, I want to be sensitive to others who, here who have different, you know, but this for me as a young child, it was traumatic. I to have to, because I'd never kissed my grandmother, and now um, you're having to kiss ever. So, um, the, the, but the funeral director, evidently, I guess, I mean, I, I remember my mother saying you wouldn't have had to do that, but all the kids had lined up, so, you know, you don't want to, you, you don't want to be the one that doesn't go kiss your grandmother. But it was, it was a horrible experience that you had to go and kiss this this dead person as a child. So the idea of the way that we talk about death and the way that we process death, we know how important it is for us. It's uh, ever so much more important for the, you know, the way that we help our kids, our, um, the kids in our communities and our families, et cetera, to process what, what, this, really, what this really means. The other thing is that um, uh, 
having moved to the valley, I have a, one, a, a number of close friends that, who lived there all their lives. But one in particular, uh, I've gotten to know him and his family well enough so that I've been to a couple family funerals. And as a, a rather austere German Lutheran going to a valley funeral uh, where the people are just not afraid to wail, and I mean really wail, where there's serious grieving going on in public at the, at the service, um, it was, a, it was um, an unusual experience for me initially. I thought, wow, am I watching something on the National Geographic or you know, some kind of, am I in another culture? And you really are. Some cultures are very open to grieve very actively and openly. And um, you know, the Bible tells us to, to grieve, but just not to grieve as those that don't have any hope. So grief is a really important process, and it's a process I, I never saw growing up as a kid. Grief was something that you held inside because it wasn't proper to show it. And had no one to talk to. Right. Yeah, I would try to talk to my parents about things, and they would say things like, you ask too many questions. Go play. Go read. Do something. You know, and so that's why I'm so stupid. I didn't, nobody ever would tell me anything. So, so, yeah, that was it. The light goes off here. But that would be traumatic, kissing this dead, lifeless body uh, when you'd never kissed her when she was alive. So I remember, I probably told you all this, please forgive me if I repeat myself, uh, uh, about my oldest daughter having lost a friend in high school. He was killed in a car wreck. And she went to the, the viewing, and she told me, she said, Mom, would you please explain something to me? She said, everybody was standing around looking at his body, and they were saying, Ma, doesn't he look natural? And she said, Mom, he looked dead to me. (laughs) Yes. So we have all kinds of things that we say, platitudes. Uh, We can say the most ridiculous things sometimes to people who've lost someone or to people who are grieving. So... Well, all of you seem to be talking about your mothers. Uh, I wasn't with my mother when she died, but I was with my George when he died. And that was very hard. But he had suffered so much with three different things wrong with his heart. And uh, uh, he was having so much trouble breathing. And the hospice gals had been there, and they said, it'll be today. And... uh, my son and my daughter had gotten home from Alaska, and uh, we were just all kind of standing around his bed waiting for it. In fact, I had prayed and asked the Lord to take him. Otherwise, he would have ended up in an institution not being able to eat or drink or no quality whatsoever, and he couldn't breathe, and, and I just knew he'd be going to a much better place, so I just said, Lord... If it's in your will, of course, um, let him go now. And uh, we were just all standing around his bed, and finally I just said to him, Honey, uh, we're all here. We love you. We're going to miss you, but please, it's time to go. Don't fight anymore. Uh, Jesus is waiting to take you home. And it's just like he had gotten permission. The hospice people said, He's waiting for his kids to get here. And my son had just been there an hour or two hours when he said, Dad, I'm here. 
and we said, don't fight it anymore. And just like that, he quit breathing. Just instantly, he was breathing. He just like he needed us to say, go. It's time to go. We let you go. It's time to go. And, uh, of course, you know, you say you're ready, but you're never ready, you know. When they take that last breath, but then you wouldn't want them back the way they were. And uh, we just had a lot of grief. And But my kids were there, and, and that's all he needed is to know we were, all, we were all there together. And we had been married 54 years, and he was 84 years old. He had had a good life. He had a good wife. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. We can all attest to that. <laughs> I take credit for that. And a wonderful family. So God is so good. Yes, indeed. And uh, he's always there when you need him. Yes. And I'm just so thankful to know where he is. I uh, think many times about the verse. Fred and I were talking out in the vestibule this morning about facing death. And and I said, you know, I always think of the verse, For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And I don't know exactly how I'll be, but I'm hoping that all these promises that I believe will be there for me. And I want to thank you so much. Our time is up. I, I'm going to tell you, we're going to do a little something different for my last uh, time with you all as a teacher up here next Sunday. We're going to talk about being being grateful for our afflictions and how, and we're going to bring, I'm going to bring some scripture in about that and how do we do that, grateful for our afflictions, grateful for all the things that we don't like that's happening to us and, and we'll see what comes with that. So uh, Frank, would you do me the favor of closing us in prayer also please? Father God, we are just reminded uh, from the stories uh, we've heard here today that, uh, as Scripture says, uh, there comes a time for us to go the way of all flesh. Uh, but for your mercy, we also know that that, uh, that is the door uh, to glory. And we just praise you for the salvation we have in Christ, knowing that that door that we go through uh, is a door to a greater place, a place of beauty place where there's no pain, no fear, and where we would be in the presence of Christ. And we just help us to cling to that. Uh, And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, everybody.